You are listening to Ship It, a podcast about operations, infrastructure, and lost network packets. I'm your host, Gerhard Lanzi, and today I share the entire story behind all that laughter at the end of episode 30. In this episode, I'm talking with Drew Marshall, director at Trunk Networks, an ISP and cloud services provider based in Sussex, UK. My Vodafone ISP gateway was losing packets, and recording previous episodes used to be challenging, as my internet connection would stop working up to 10 seconds at a time, multiple times per recording. I was convinced that the issue couldn't be my unified Dream Machine Pro. Drew helped me realize it actually was, and that the ISP was not the issue. I have learned so much in the process, and I want to share this with you, because I now have two fully redundant fiber lines and because nothing beats a real-world experiment, we test the WAN failover in this episode while recording. You will find network latency and packet loss graphs, speed test runs in the show notes. I hope that this episode inspires you to set up a better home network. Most importantly, may you find your humble and brilliant Drew. Big thanks to our partners Fastly, LaunchDarkly and Linode. Thank you for the great bandwidth Fastly. You can learn more at fastly.com. Ship new features with confidence by getting your feature flags powered by launchdarkly.com. And thank you, Linode, for keeping our Kubernetes fast and simple. Run your setup as we do via linode.com forward slash changelog. What's up, shippers? This episode is brought to you by our friends at Shortcut. Have you ever really been happy with your project management tool? You know, they're so hard to get right. They really are so hard to get right. Most are too simple for a growing engineering team to manage all they need to do. And others are just too complex for anyone. And I mean anyone to ever want to use them. They're just so painful. Shortcut, formerly known as Clubhouse, is different though because it's worse. I mean, it's better. I mean, it's better. Shortcut is project management built specifically for software teams and they're fast, they're intuitive, flexible, powerful, and all the other positive adjectives you can apply to them. Let's look at some of the highlights. Team-based workflows, individual teams can use Shortcut's default workflows or you can customize them to match the way you work. Org-wide goals and roadmaps, the work in these workflows automatically get tied into larger company goals. And it takes one click to move from a roadmap to a team's work, to individual updates and vice versa. Tight VCS integrations, whether you use GitHub, GitLab or Bitbucket, Shortcut ties directly to them so you can update progress from the command line. Keyboard friendly interface, the rest of Shortcut is just as keyboard friendly with their power bar, allowing you to do virtually anything without touching your mouse. Throw that thing away. Iterations, planning set weekly priorities, and then let Shortcut run the schedule for you with accompanying burn down charts and other reporting. Give it a try today at shortcut.com slash ship it. Again, that's shortcut.com slash ship it. virtually two months ago while trying to understand why my network packets were getting lost. And Drew is the main reason why my home ISP connection is now rock solid. And when I record these podcasts, they flow like butter. Welcome, Drew. Hi. 
So why did you help me out? Well, I mean, initially, you raised a support ticket to us, mm-hmm. and um, you asked some interesting questions. And, and like, a, like a lot of IT professionals who use networks a lot, mm-hmm. maybe didn't necessarily fully understand everything that was going on. And we see this quite a lot, actually, people who, who come to us and say, this is my problem. What can I do to fix it? And actually, we then take you right back to the beginning and go, okay, well, so what makes you think this is a problem? Why are you pushing down this road? And then we'll spend some time looking at, well, actually, what was the problem? Why was it here? And then come up with some things that we can try, which is kind of what we did with yourself, really. Mm. You said, oh, yes, I've got this problem with, with my network packets. We did some trace routes and looked at some other bits and pieces. And actually, what we, where we went with this one was, so... Have you tried swapping out your your home broadband router? Well, yes, I have. And I put this one in and although it doesn't do what I want it to do, it actually worked better. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. So whilst we haven't got the right router, we've clearly got an issue going on here. It's not further into the network. It's not Mm -hmm. where your ISP hands off in in terms of, you know, the the server you're trying to get to or or the service you're trying to consume. This is happening much closer to home. And and we see this quite a lot. To be honest, I I was quite pleased because um, you did actually at least have the common sense to have made sure that you'd wired everything before you started shouting about it. We get a lot of complaints from customers who are very, very unhappy that that Mm. their brand new gigabit broadband service doesn't give them a gigabit when they're at the bottom of the garden in the shed. <laughs> That's a good they've, one. They've recently lined with that nice foil reflective insulation so it's not <laughs> cold. And it's like, well, what do you expect? So, you know, it, that, that, was, that was quite refreshing. Mm-hmm. We very much wanted to work with you to, to mm-hmm. try to fix your problem. You weren't a customer at the time. For us, that's not necessarily all about um, mm. whether we're making making pound notes from you, but actually, let's make it better. Mm. Hopefully, you, you liked what we did and, and elect to become a customer into the future. So, in fact, you have, to be fair. So, yeah, I mean, that is the thing that really surprised me. So, at the time, I was convinced that my issue was the ISP. My ISP was Vodafone. I live in Milton Keynes. They're running on the City Fiber network. And I was convinced that there's something going on in the Vodafone network because I was getting packets lost to the gateway. And then obviously everything from there was not the way it should have been. To be honest, and to be fair, to be fair, I've had various issues since April 2020, mm-hmm. and they were changing. They were somewhat improving, improving, but I never got to the point where I was happy with my connection. And I was thinking, you know what? I've been, I've been banging this drum for about a year. Maybe it's time to do something else. When I was recording these podcasts, my guests, they were just cutting out for me was getting to the point where I couldn't even like record a podcast without my connection going down. And that was just ridiculous because this fiber to the premises, one gigabit symmetric, it should be amazing. And it was for most of the time, but you know, I wasn't like streaming or bu- like a content wasn't buffering for things to be okay if there's like a temporary short interruption. So for me, it was really surprising that even though you were not my ISP, you were so helpful. And we got to the bottom of it, right? It took us weeks, right, to get to the bottom. Yeah. You were patient, you were there, and you were in my ISP. So I think kindness goes a long way. And that's what, you know, I really liked about how we interacted. And I really wanted to tell this story. So why are you passionate, Drew, about low latency, high performance networks? Because it's in your title, right? Yeah, <laughs> it is on, my, it is on my, my LinkedIn profile. You're right. Because for me, the network is the enabler. It's the thing that has to happen before 
any of the other things that we consume can exist. Probably the best example I could bring would be maybe Netflix and Amazon Prime and those sorts of streaming services. Now, I'm old enough to go all the way back to, to dial-up days. And of course, those services didn't exist. And in fact, actually, you were you were quite lucky to get a, get a picture. Mm-hmm. I remember, I'll come back to this story actually in a bit, but it revolved around the, the day that um, sadly the Twin Towers came down and, and, you know, the internet maxed out and all the rest of it. Mm. But my passion really for, for low latency, high, high capacity networks is about ensuring that people can continue to take advantage of whatever the next thing is. Mm. So today, most of the UK have got fibre to the cabinet, FTTC, which is the, the hybrid fibre that the, the big networks have arguably missold mm. as being a fibre connection. Mm. It's not, of course. It's half fibre, half copper. And when that became the common connection in the for, for most subscribers in the UK, Netflix was born. And people said, well, what can we do with this? So, well, let's deliver films. Let's deliver on-demand services. And that's great. And, you know, we've got up to kind of compressed 4k and you know higher definitions and this sort of thing and and that's fantastic but along comes full fiber so fiber all the way to the home gigabit services in fact actually it goes beyond that of course because the expensive bit is the glass tube between your your house and and wherever it's backhauled to Mm -hmm. but once that's in place well actually you just change each end and you can go to 10 gig you can go to 100 gig 400 gig 800 gig whatever the next standard will be mm-hmm. so we've got this great upgrade path we've got great bandwidth we've got great capacity i've got no idea what the next big thing is going to be unfortunately i'm not clever enough to work that one out if i <laughs> if i could do that then I, I'd, I'd be a very rich man of course but what i do know is that until the network is in place to deliver it whatever it will be, will never be delivered. So we, we've always got to take that responsibility. As an ISP, we've got to take the responsibility that we have to make the decision that we're the horse and it's got to come before the card. Yeah. And that's all there is to it. Mm. And so, yes, I, I am passionate about delivering the best product at mm. the best capacities. I get very unhappy when I feel that as an industry, we let our customers down. I don't like the idea of selling something as fiber when it's not really fiber. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go through the, the Wayback Machine, you'll find that our website has never talked about the fact that it's fiber. The product we've sold has been FTTC. We've made absolutely no bones about it. Mm-hmm. And that's because actually I, I refuse to get on that bandwagon and my business partner backed me in that decision. And that's something that, that I believe very passionately about. I also don't believe, and, and we've never signed up to the current Ofcom code of conduct, which basically says that as long as you tell your consumer that their broadband won't go quick enough at peak times, that's all right. Mm. Well, for me, that's not all right, actually. Mm. If I've sold you a 100 meg connection, then I expect you to get, give or take, a 100 meg, whether that's four o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the afternoon, eight o'clock of an evening, I'm not sure I sign, I sign up to mm. where some of the larger businesses have gone. Mm. My daughter's recently moved into a, a house in Bristol and um, the only available service was via a large national player. Well, it's only, the, the only sensible available service was via a large national player. She phoned me up and she said, Dad, I've got this contract in front of me and I'm buying a, a 200 meg service and it says that it's quite acceptable that it can do 25 meg at peak time. Yes, I know. Is it? 
That is just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that really gets me right. Like, I think unrealistic expectations is top. Yes. And then broken promises is next. Yes. <laughs> and, and they interchange, right? So it's one or the other. Mm-hmm. Give me what you tell you're going to give me, because that's what I'm paying for. I'm not like, I'm, am I paying less when it's 25 megabits? I'm not. It's always the same price, right? doesn't matter Ooh. how fast or how slow it is. You're right. And then I think hand in hand is when you... When I expect to get something and I don't get that thing, and then I don't know what the problem is and people aren't straight. Yes. Is it your connection? Is it like your gateway? Is it like, where is the bottleneck? Mm. And I think you mentioned something very interesting when when we're exchanging emails, is that people, they don't even know what they're getting. They don't even realize where the problems are because they don't know. And this isn't just the consumers. No. This is also support because they don't know what they're supporting. No, absolutely. And again, as a business, you know, we decided a long time ago that mm. this was something, you know, we weren't prepared to sign that code of conduct because we didn't think it was right. Mm. It doesn't seem fair or reasonable. And so actually we only provide what people pay for mm. and we expect to do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes, okay, there's going to be some contention. The internet is a contended resource. Your local gym is a contended resource. Right. You know, they've only got a dozen bikes or rowing mm. machines or whatever and if every one of their subscribers turned up on mm. at nine o'clock monday morning there wouldn't be enough machines to go around yeah that's not how the business works mm-hmm. you know they just need to make sure they they've got enough rowing machines for when mm. their peak happens and the same thing with the internet but it doesn't mean that that you look around and you think oh i tell you what mrs miggins doesn't mind waiting 20 mm. minutes for a, a rowing machine so what we'll do is we'll take one out that way i don't have to pay for quite so many mm. it's that sort of thing that you know, actually, I'd, I'd rather offer people a product at a fair price to get what they're buy- they're paying for than to try and offer a cut price deal. And you know, I've got to make money. Yeah. We're a business to make money. Making a profit, although some people would like to suggest otherwise, it's not a rude thing mm-hmm. to do. Our profits go into paying our members of staff and paying for the infrastructure that people use and all the other things that go yeah. on. You know, we, we, we pride ourselves on, on being a very proud local business. And a lot of our business is focused locally to us in the Sussex and, and sort of southeast corner, mm-hmm. where actually we like to be able to go, look, these are our members of staff and this is one of our young engineers and he's just had a child and he can afford this because we pay him because you pay us. Yeah. It's how the world goes round, you know. It's exactly maybe it's a slightly old fashioned uh, tradition or, or view, but you know, we don't think that's unreasonable. No, I think that works really well because from my perspective, you never sold anything. And I love that approach. You were there to help. And um, that was it. Like, if you're happy and if things work for you, we are happy. Because that's why we're doing this. That is our reason. It's not to make money. It's not to get rich. It's to help people. And I love that approach. So how many ISPs would you say that are helping customers with their routers? Which is not an Mm. ISP-supplied router. (laughs) I I know that you know where this is going, but I don't think many (laughs) do. Because my ISP didn't even like my my existing ISP. said, you know what? It's your router. Like, we can't support your router. The issue was, yes, with my router, but can you prove that what's on the other side works well? And they can't. So as a result, you don't know whether it's my router or whether it's your gateway. And they couldn't Mm -hmm. prove that. So we were like going in circles until I met you. And he said, well, okay, these are the steps. Let's go through them. And when I say we, you have to go through them. And then let's figure out where the problem is. And that's exactly what happens. So the problem was the router. It was not an ISP supplied one. And neither of us knew what the problem was, but we were willing to work together. And that made all the difference. 
No, absolutely. And the official line in terms of supported routers is is that we can't help you with your supplied router. Mm -hmm. As in, we can't help you program it. We can't help you beyond giving you the username and password that you need to to be able to log into our service. Mm -hmm. However, what I did and what we do as a a business for for our customers is to go through the, the fairly basic steps we swapped, the, swapped a couple of routers around. We tried some different combinations. Is it a cable? Is it the router itself? Is it the, the way that your router is connected into your network? If we build this thing up one baby step at a time, mm-hmm. then we can eliminate elements. And by eliminating those elements, you can get to a point where you, you can either, and I think I, I probably put this into in an email, actually, we get to a point where you can go, it's definitely not my kit. Vodafone, mm-hmm. you need to sort yourself out. Yeah, because I've proven I've done this and I've done that and I've gone all the way through this. Mm. And at the end of the day, although lots of people like to think they know lots about the internet, and quite a lot of them do, some of them know a lot less than they like to proclaim. And actually, it's not as tricky as it sounds. If you can cover off the first three layers, Mm -hmm. you're pretty much there. And I, I do this training course with our new engineers where we sit down and we go, right, so the first thing is, is there a light on? Have you got a light flashing? If you have, then we can pretty much tick the box that says layer one is working. Mm-hmm. And then, then we get into, can you see the gateway? Can you see the next hop? Then you get into, can we route through that? And once you've built up that level, the next steps beyond that are out of your control. And it's just trying to work out, well, who is it you need to go and shout at in order to get what you're after? Yeah. And you know, ultimately, from, from your perspective, it's, it's really simple. You just mm-hmm. want an internet connection that works. Yeah. So that you know, if you want to record a podcast, you can do so without every fifth word dropping or, exactly. or whatever else is going on. And this, is, this goes back to my point about why am I passionate about you know, low latency, high bandwidth networks? Well, actually, it's not so much low latency. It's not necessarily high bandwidth. It's about stuff that makes other stuff work mm-hmm. and that's that's the key element the low latency and the high bandwidth bit is just the that's just the enabler for whatever the next thing is that we want to make work yeah. but actually at a very basic level i don't want people sitting there watching wheels of doom go round in circles and mm-hmm. their love actually film stop playing because mm-hmm. they'd got to that particularly poignant moment that's not what we're about. We want stuff to just work, and it, yeah. it should do. You're right. It is that reliability element. It is that, like, you know, met expectations. I know what to expect. I'm not being unreasonable. And what I expect to happen does happen. It's like, you know, when you have, like, those instabilities, um, whatever the reason may be, which is what my issue was. Like, stopping and starting it wouldn't have fixed it. Same as, like, you know, replace the cable wouldn't have fixed it. So we went through the steps, and we realized, you know what? It must be this thing. And I didn't know, you didn't know, but there was a process that we followed. So I think there is a lot to be said about good processes and like knowing what you should do without reverting to diagrams and like a flow chart. Say, okay, I'm support, first line, this is like, have you gone like through these steps? And they help. But then when some people, I mean, I think for me, it was very frustrating talking to like first line support, try to explain them things. And they're telling me things which are unrelated to my problem. I say, look, that can't be it because of this, that, and that. I say, layer one, layer two. This is like, you're telling me it's a layer seven. I'm telling you it's not a layer seven. Mm. And I say, like, okay, so which layer do you think it is? <laughs> it's like, oh, that's so good as this happened. <laughs> the problem is that if you leap, leap straight into layer seven and you, you ignore the other six layers, yeah. then you're trying to diagnose a problem without actually understanding. Mm. Does anything else work? 
if um, I mean, at one point I, I think I looked at some some log outputs of yours that suggested mm-hmm. that the router interface was flapping. Yes, and so it, that could have been a dodgy Ethernet cable, something as simple as that. But until you say, well, actually, let's replace that. Let's prove layer one works. Mm-hmm. You can't move to layer two without knowing that the lights are still on. Mm. In the same way, as much as it frustrates people, we sometimes have to go through the simple things like, it has got electricity, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because as the internet goes down at four o'clock every every Friday, or what Mm. when the cleaner comes around, you know, we've all heard the joke about, you know, bed six in the ward where people seem to die every Friday at six because the cleaner comes in, unplugs the life support machine, (laughs) plugs the hoover in, cleans the floor, (laughs) plugs them back in again. You know, that's a good one. It's a similar sort of process. You, Mm. You have to go through, you know, what is going on? Let's do the basic ticks. Let's go through the basic stuff mm. because it's a lot stronger argument to have, particularly with, with large ISPs where they've perhaps got more customer service people, shall we say, on, on mm. their, their level one help desks. You've got to better cut through that. You know, well, have you tried rebooting it again? Yes, I've mm. done that lots. And the problem is that they'll get to a point where they'll want to hang up on you because you've had yeah. your, your 20 minutes. They'll set your task and you'll go away and do it, mm. phone back to tell them it's not working, and they'll start again at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's, right. that's no good to you. Yeah, what you right. need to do is pick up again from, I did what you asked me to do. Mm-hmm. It didn't make a difference. What's the next step? Not, let's go back to square one again. Yeah, Because actually, that's just really frustrating. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's just following that, that base process and mm-hmm. making sure that you've covered off all the bits and pieces. And some of them are more obvious than others. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it, even I kick myself for missing something that's ought to yeah. be glaringly obvious but isn't something that that you know the customer always realizes mm. not everybody is technical you have to keep reminding yourself and sometimes that whole electricity question is one that people don't even realize or don't even think about because it's so yeah. obvious and surely because it's so obvious it, it can't be the fault yeah i know what you mean This episode is brought to you by our friends at Raygun. Have you ever wondered how users are really experiencing your software? When you unlock real user insights, you'll be able to identify and resolve front-end performance issues and ensure your application is consistently delivering superior experiences. Raygun will deliver a daily performance summary to keep your finger on the pulse of your website with an overview of your slowest pages, core web vitals, user sessions, and user satisfaction. This gets sent straight to your inbox or Slack channel of your choice. Join thousands of performance-focused, customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every single day to deliver flawless experiences to their customers. Again, raygun.com. In my case, the problem was actually the router which I had, and I was convinced that was not the issue. That was the Unify UDM Pro. And the way that was holding the PPPoE connection was flapping. That was it. It couldn't hold the connection stable long enough. And there's like all sorts of issues now. The UDM Pro, for those that know it, it's like an all-in-one thing. It has uh, it has a drive, you plug in cameras, it's running like all sorts of applications. So it is an all-in-one solution. It's more like an appliance. You can run Unify Protect, you can run the Unify, like the doorbell, like all sorts of things. I'm not sure how much this is related to it, but what I do know is that it's trying to do too many things. And when it does too many things, as with all things, you know, doesn't do them all as well as maybe it could. 
So as soon as I've put the micro ticker, really old one, this was like a seven-year-old, the RB uh, 2011, all problems went away. Everything was working now. Because the CPU was really slow on that specific device, I, I think it was like 600 megahertz, like a, an older ARM one, the throughput would, would max at 700 megabits. So the connection can do 900, so I wasn't getting like the full, like what I was paying for. However, my problem with latency, with packets getting lost, all of that disappeared simply by, you know, putting a new router in. So it was the device problem, but not what I assumed it was the problem. But going through that process really helped. For sure. One of the um, the interesting things that we saw, I and mean, we upgraded our broadband gateways about a year ago now, mm. uh, and our new gateways are able to actually drop and re-establish a PPP session in something in the order of seven to ten seconds. Mm. Now, if you've got a flapping PPP interface like you had, actually, mm. it's very possible, particularly on a, a nice, fast, low-latency city fiber or full fiber connection, you can actually drop and re-establish that, that session really quite quickly yes. and it will only exhibit itself as being some packet loss a yes. and it's a, a bit loose and woolly as to mm. what that is and where that is and it particularly if it's doing it randomly so it's not you know every five minutes or every 30 mm. seconds or whatever if it's doing it a random period of time it can exhibit itself as being random packet loss and the, the problem and, and it was quite interesting you sent me um some some forum links to vodafone forums where people were making comments about you know, various different elements of, of network failure and stuff and i'm i'm looking at some of these and i'm thinking that's great but this is somebody who has either a little knowledge and is trying to make themselves look much better than they are or actually has absolutely no idea and <laughs> because i'm looking at some of this stuff and they go well, look look there's a trace route here and mm. and can you see the latency at the far end well i can but actually at hop five your connection could have dropped re-established dropped a couple of packets and then continued mm -hmm. because the trace route doesn't care the trace route says i will trace for 64 hops or whatever your, mm. your os allows you to do so yes it can drop two in the middle and continue and pick up and and you know you just think well that's a bit weird mm. equally there are trace routes the bbc is quite a good one if you do mm. a trace route to the bbc you'll find the second to last hop i think it is disappears into their mpls core somewhere because the response comes from a router that has no no routing back to it you get get a line of stars mm -hmm. that doesn't yeah, mean it's right. broken it just means that the box in the middle can't talk back to you doesn't mean it doesn't work the bbc yeah. website still loads fine it's really with the tools that we have for the average member of the public which typically a ping and trace route or some similar variant are just too blunt to be mm -hmm. able to accurately pin the problem on a particular element so much traffic these days is tunneled in some way, shape or form. It's actually really difficult to be able to narrow down and go, oh, yes, well, inside that tunnel is a problem. So what tools would you recommend to understand what the problems are better? What do you normally use? If I'm honest, ping and trace route are your friend, but mm -hmm. you have to be able to interpret what's going on. And some of that involves a lot more understanding of, of the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So, for example, 
the, the latest forum post that uh, you, you sent me just before we had our chat, there was a, a, a person on there that was saying, look, it's got to be a city fibre problem because hops three and four, can you see the latency? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I can comfortably tell you that city fibre are running a transparent layer one service over passive optical networking kit. You won't get a ping or a trace route off of a layer one connection. Mm-hmm. So... City fibre's congestion, if there is any, is invisible. Mm. The only way you, you can you can measure that is potentially to the first hop gateway. But even then, you can't guarantee where you're connected mm. to. So a lot of the protocols that we still use in networking date back to 40 years ago, mm. back to NASA and, and the original ARPANET and yeah. all of, of that kind of really beginning infrastructure. Yeah, we've upgraded some of them. We've plugged in a load of stuff over the top. We've built newer methods of doing things. But actually, when you run it all the way back down to the base level, almost every network will be pinned on BGP for its, its gateway routing. It will have some form of IGP in terms of OSPF or ISIS, mm-hmm. neither of which, unlike that that somebody put in their forum post, OSPF doesn't have any form of latency detection. It works on the shortest number of hops. If you've got seven routers down a low latency path, that will be de-preferenced over the three routers that might be over a much higher latency path. And actually, we as network administrators have to recognize that and have to manually adjust for it interesting so you know there isn't anything that measures latency cisco invented a proprietary protocol about 15 20 years ago that did have some latency measurement stuff going on in it but because it's proprietary the world hated it and invented mpls instead (laughs) but yeah didn't quite but it died when mpls came out and so actually what you've got to do is you've got to take the data you're collecting from from your trace route and you've got to overlay what you know about your network architecture Mm. i think it actually might even have been yourself that asked why why am i connected to a broadband gateway in manchester when actually i want to be one in in london because i live in milton Keynes. well the way that that works is that we connect all those various sites up over ostensibly a layer two protocol we don't will you we'll tunnel them over mpls because it gives us faster failover and that sort of thing mm-hmm. for the backhaul network but fundamentally it's a layer two switch network it has to be because when your router sends its um its ppp multicast packet out and says could does anybody fancy logging me in mm-hmm. that that has to be done over multicast it has to be done over layer two it's switched it's all mac addressed blah 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 but actually the control mechanism we have over this you'll love this the first one to respond is the one that gets the connection. Interesting. So if Manchester is 10 miles closer in network terms, is 10 miles closer or is half a millisecond quicker to respond than London, mm-hmm. you're going to Manchester. I will get it, yeah. And there's not a lot you can do to influence that unless they manage to change the way that your packets are routed at a much lower level than you've got any chance of seeing. Yeah. So this is why I say that, you know, trace route is great, and it, but it lives at a network level that, that is above where your packets are really traveling. Mm-hmm. It's happening much, much sooner, or sorry, the bit you can see is happening much later mm-hmm. than the bit that could be influencing how your, your connection works. Yeah. And that's the joys of, of dealing with a, with a smaller ISP, of course, because you're closer to the bloke that built it yeah. or that designed it. <laughs> that has its advantages for sure. I really enjoyed <laughs> like, you know, being able to talk to someone that, that knows what he's talking about. Like, you know, when I say, hey, Drew, like, what's up with this? You can actually give me an answer because as you mentioned, like, 
like you build the thing so you know exactly what's underneath it and i think that's super rare and i appreciate it so much you have no idea like when i see that i recognize it like yes that's exactly what i want and i'm so grateful that you know isps and people like you exist right that they're like real people i can talk to it's just amazing because like it's almost like you speak my language i understand what you mean and i can ask you questions with the confidence that i'll get an accurate answer including I don't know. Let me find out. That's so refreshing. That's so refreshing. So I noticed two days ago, something very interesting happened. My gateway changed and the way it manifested itself, this is like my Vodafone one. And we'll get to the secondary line as well in a minute. But let's just finish this because it's really interesting. So two days ago, my internet went down, my PPP stayed open, but no traffic was getting through. So no packets were getting routed, no traffic was getting through. I had to recycle the connection and I connected to another endpoint, another gateway, which was which was closer. The reason why I say it was closer, the pings, the latency was three milliseconds. Before it was eight milliseconds. So before my packets were getting rooted anywhere, just like getting to the, to the gateway used to be eight and now it's three overnight. So how would you explain that? What do you think actually happened? Not knowing where you were connected to prior to your eight milliseconds, mm-hmm. I would say that one of potentially a couple of things happened. One was that the gateway that you're now connected to with your three milliseconds wasn't available for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Took it out of service to do maintenance. It might even be a new a new BNG they've recently deployed. Mm-hmm. So if I give you our network design or, or yes. some element of it, but I'll try and draw some some analogies with where you are with Vodafone. So, for example, in Worthing, where we're, we're present with City Fibre, we've actually got a, a network gateway in the exchange in Worthing. Mm-hmm. The benefit that brings is, is that for our gaming customers who are, are an amusing breed because they're hell-bent on, on that first hop latency. Okay. Yeah, well, well, actually, in Worthing, it's sub-millisecond. Sometimes a whole millisecond, but not normally, because yeah. actually the bit of fibre they're travelling down is the bit of pond fibre that City Fibre have got deployed, mm-hmm. then hops through the, the City Fibre fibre exchange, lands on a router that we have there that, that does the, the whole backhaul handling piece mm-hmm. and drops and should drop straight onto the BNG in Worthing, where mm-hmm. the session's terminated, you get given a, an IP address, you then come back around the corner, jump back on the router that's that's just um, that, that took your incoming session, and that then routes you out to the big wide world. Now, if that BNG in Worthing isn't available, or is busy, or whatever, we have a number of other broadband gateways around the rest of the network in London, designed that they, they handle that, that overflow, if you like. Mm-hmm. So... If a customer in Worthing doesn't land on that Worthing gateway, maybe I've taken out service to do a firmware upgrade, for example, they'll end up terminating in in London. Mm -hmm. So their first hop goes from being millisecond or better to being more like four or five milliseconds because what's going to happen is that the router, so they they come in through the City Fibre FEX, as as I mentioned already, they land up on the the core router that handles that backhaul. Mm -hmm. It's sends the the multicast PPP request into the whole of that layer two network. Now that layer two network actually traverses about half a dozen different fiber exchanges, main data centers and other places. Basically anywhere I've got a BNG, Mm -hmm. that multicast packet will be sent. Mm -hmm. Now depending on as I said mentioned already, depending on which BNG reacts first, dictates who gets the session. So if the Worthing one, which should be the first one because it's definitely the closest is unavailable to react 
then one of the others will take it. That means that your first hop goes from being millisecond or less to being four to five milliseconds, as I said already, because actually yeah. you've been you've disappeared into a tunnel. You can't see that. It's all layer two, mm-hmm. but you've disappeared off into a tunnel that's then presented itself to the next available broadband gateway, which has then terminated your session and hung some IPs on it, and you're out to the big wide world. Mm-hmm. The reality, if you did a ping to, let's say, Google, mm-hmm. and that was eight milliseconds away you did a trace route to it and if you connected to the worthing broadband gateway you'd go millisecond it would then be five milliseconds to the core another millisecond to google Mm -hmm. there's your seven eight milliseconds if you're terminated in london your first hop is is the five or six milliseconds and then one hop then a millisecond to google it equates to the same thing. It's just that the first hop is a, is a bigger number because you're further away. Because unfortunately, I, I can't get your packets to go quicker than the speed of light. Yeah, that's right. That is a limit, right? That everybody has to contend with. And yeah. then even that's like pretty good. It's like all the extra hops that you need to make in between. What's up, shippers? Adam here, and I want to tell you about one of our new partners for 2022, MongoDB, the makers of MongoDB Atlas, the multi-cloud application data platform. MongoDB Atlas provides an integrated suite of data services centered around a cloud database designed to accelerate and simplify how you build with data. Ditch the columns, the rows, once and for all, and switch to the database loved by millions of developers for its intuitive document data model and query API that maps to how you think and code. When you're ready to launch, Atlas automatically layers on production-grade resilience, performance, and security features so you can confidently scale your app from sandbox to customer-facing application. As a truly multi-cloud database, Atlas enables you to deploy your data across multiple regions on AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud simultaneously. You heard that right. You can distribute your data across multiple cloud providers at the same time with a click of a button. All you got to do is try Atlas today for free. They have a free forever tier, so you can prove yourself and your team. The platform has everything you need. Head to mongodb.com slash atlas. Again, mongodb.com slash atlas. And by our friends at GitLab, the DevOps platform that empowers organizations to maximize the overall return on software development by delivering software faster, more efficiently, while strengthening security and compliance. GitLab helps teams to identify and address blockers immediately in a single tool. They focus on delivering value, not maintaining integrations, and they automate security and compliance without compromising speed or spend. Get started with their free tier, no credit card required to prove yourself, and the rest of your team at the platform has everything you need to make awesome software. Head to about.gitlab.com slash solutions slash DevOps dash platform, or check the show notes for a link to get started. Again, links are in the show notes. This first hop, I think, is really important. And the first hop will be from your router to the gateway, wherever that may be. Mm -hmm. And on Vodafone, this used to be eight, nine milliseconds. 
So you mentioned sub-millisecond, I would love to have that. And while I don't have that with Vodafone, what happened recently is it went down to about five milliseconds, mm-hmm. three milliseconds. Actually, it was three, four milliseconds. It, it fluctuates, but it's it's twice as good as it used to be. So that is a good improvement. Now, Trunk Networks is my secondary ISP, and I can like switch between the two. So I mm-hmm. currently, my setup is uh, configured so that I disable one and then the other one, even though it's live, the routing only uses like one of the of the gateways. So when I disable the primary, the Vodafone, I fall back to the secondary. And even then, my first hop is five milliseconds. So the quickest that my gate- gateway is, is five. so that's like my starting point. Whether it's DNS after that, when I go to Google's DNS or Cloudflare's DNS or OpenDNS, it will be on top of those five or th- four milliseconds in this case. And that's still good. If it's over 10 milliseconds, I think that's when you start feeling it. And it's not only that, but like when it starts fluctuating. So from that perspective, five milliseconds as a starting point, great. It's when it gets higher than that, when it's bad. And when you have packet loss, it's even worse. So one problem which I have, and, and I hope that you'll be able to explain to me why that is, is when I switch from one ISP to another one, so when I disable one of the connections, there is like a maybe 20, 30 seconds period when as if the existing connections stop working and mm-hmm. TCP connections, uh, new ones are okay, but existing ones stop working. Why is that? That's almost certainly going to be because you've got two different ISPs on your router mm-hmm. and you'll be running NAT, network address translation, to the WAN IPs that your router's been given. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, your router has to keep a memory, a state, if you like, of those those NAT addresses. So to give you an idea, you go to the BBC's website, mm-hmm. your computer initiates that, that connection, the router makes the network address translation, so it, it takes your internal IP and maps it to your external one and sends it out to the big wide world. Mm-hmm. Now, what it has to do is remember... When the BBC sends you the data back, it has to remap that back to your computer. Now, if you swap ISPs halfway through, Mm -hmm. suddenly your WAN IP address has changed. Now, that that table, so the return path, is almost certainly the one that is causing you the problem because Mm -hmm. it's saying, I've got a return path and I'm expecting it back in from interface A. And Mm -hmm. actually, that's not happening at the moment. So it gets itself a little bit of a mess, which is why new connections work fine, because it's writing new new address table entries. Yeah. If you actually cleared down the NAT table as part of your switchover, mm-hmm. you'd probably find that, it, that actually it would be pretty much seamless. Interesting. Okay. Right. So it is that NAT table I need to look into clearing when I do yeah. a switchover. It's not enough just like to disable one and basically re-enable the other one because they're both connected. So that actually does make sense. Okay. For example, the way that we do high availability, mm-hmm. we do this a lot with uh, in, in the corporate world with leased lines. Mm-hmm. So we, we'll put a, a fiber Ethernet circuit in and we'll probably look to put a, a broadband failover in because you know, actually in the great scheme of things, they're, they're pretty cheap yep. and actually are good enough in a DR scenario that, that you can continue to function. So what we'll do is we'll give you an IP address that routes off of both circuits, preference one over the other, mm-hmm. in the event of a failure, that route gets torn out. But at no point does your NAT translation ever change. Mm, interesting. So your IP remains the same at all times, yeah. and all that happens is you, you fail over between them. That's not possible, unfortunately, in home broadband world, because mm-hmm. particularly when you're using 
two ISPs because obviously you've got a Vodafone IP on, on one port and you've got a Trunk Networks IP on another. Mm-hmm. And I can't announce a Vodafone IP and Vodafone won't can't announce mine. So that's one of those compromises that you, you have to make. Okay. You talked about in a previous podcast um, a seven-minute delay when you, you, you destroyed your website and he mm-hmm. rebuilt itself. Well, this is kind of one of those similar network things where yeah, it's like, got it. yeah, there's 30 seconds failover, mm-hmm. but it's it failed over. Yeah. You know, and if the internet, as it obviously is, is very important to your, mm-hmm. your life, then actually it failed over, it recovered all by itself. If you were, I don't know, maybe you weren't recording a podcast, but you were... Mm-hmm. You were watching a, a Netflix film, for example, it, it would fail over and you almost certainly wouldn't mm-hmm. notice and do it seamlessly. So when you said that the NAT tables, the routing tables, have outdated information when it comes to how to negotiate the packets, how, where to send the packets, was it on the Microtech or was it on the Unify? If I'm honest, I don't know. Mm-hmm. My guess would be probably the Unify. Mm-hmm. But because you've got two lots of tables going on, mm-hmm. it would be difficult to be able to tell. Okay. Now, having said that, let's think about that. No, it probably isn't, actually. I'm lying. I reckon it will be on the Microtik mm-hmm. because that's the one that's handling the actual final endpoint. The NAT translation between your Unify and your Microtik won't change. That's right, yes. So actually, that, that should be absolutely fine. It's only the WAN IP address element which is the one that um, needs Mm -hmm. to actually make the change you've not changed any other piece of infrastructure that's right so you you should be fine there okay so this is something which i definitely need to look into because i would like to make it as seamless as possible like small improvements right this is like the one improvement i have two connections so if one fails i can still record you can still hear me i can't hear you but Mm -hmm. all i have to do is refresh i'm really glad that we were able to test that because I'm also recording locally, we caught like all of that on my end. Uh, oh, obviously, cool. like with the Riverside, the way it works, it will just catch up. It like buffers locally in the browser, and mm-hmm. then it just re-uploads anything that didn't manage to upload. Oh, perfect! So, well, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> that was really amazing. I really enjoyed that. Okay. Yeah. So the other question, which which I have, is around the latency. One have mm-hmm. noticed so. Vodafone is 900 uh, megabits and it's symmetric. Mm-hmm. The trunk networks, uh, it is a failover sort of a setup and it's 100 meg download, 20 meg upload. So when we started this recording, mm-hmm. I switched to trunk networks. And yep. what I noticed is that the latency on the gateway, the trunk gateway went mm-hmm. up. So it used to be like a flat five, six milliseconds. Mm-hmm. When we started recording, the spikes were hundreds milliseconds, a hundred plus milliseconds. Why do you think that's happening? How would you explain that? It's because you're you're actually saturating your upload. Now, mm. what I've noticed since you've moved to the Vodafone circuit is actually <laughs> the background behind you no longer goes fuzzy and drifts in and out. Interesting. So that was that was telling me that mm. your upstream was struggling with the, the amount of bandwidth that it was demanding. Mm. So... When BT, when OpenReach decided that they were going to invent ADSL, so asymmetric digital subscriber line, it's so mm-hmm. bigger down than it is up. It was designed always for downloading stuff. Right. So when, particularly with TCP, because obviously UDP is fire, fire and forget, mm-hmm. TCP requires acknowledgement packets to be sent back. It requires that negotiation that goes on between your device and my server or whatever. So the idea was that you had just enough bandwidth to be able to send back enough ACK packets to hit your maximum download threshold. Mm-hmm. 
That theory hasn't changed. So give or take at 90, well, at 100 meg, 90 whatever it is meg, your 20 meg upload is just enough to send back that many ACK packets that you hit that upper threshold. Mm -hmm. It was never really designed for uploading per se. It's only more modern enterprises such as City Fibre who have said, well, actually, you can have symmetric because why not? Yeah. And that to me is a much better solution. Quite clearly, when you're, when you're recording this podcast, you are doing more than 20 meg or, yeah. or pretty close to 20 meg. So if I'm honest, what you're doing is you're saturating your uplink. That's automatically going to mean that packets get dropped. Mm-hmm. And as those packets start to get dropped, your latency will increase because part of what you're measuring is, is how long it takes for a packet to get there and back. Well, mm-hmm. if it never makes it there, it's always going to increase your latency figure. Okay, that makes sense. That's what you're seeing. That's what I need, more upload. More upload, yep, afraid so. Okay, so in your experience, I mean, we've been talking about like this my connection quite a bit, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering, in your experience, what does a good home connection look like? And I think about remote workers, what should they care about, how they go about setting it up, what would you recommend? And first of all, what does it look like? Well... It's an interesting question. Assuming money to be no object, and, and home broadband is, is one of those really interesting areas that people don't always consider. The classic, and I'll go back to the gaming industry, because the gaming industry has led a lot of PC development and, and hardware development and so on. So people spend thousands of pounds on really, really nice gaming PCs, and then twenty one ninety nine a month on the broadband. <laughs> Right. Okay. That to me is like the TV, the really expensive TV, but the really cheap cable. And you're wondering like, why does this look bad? It's the cable. (laughs) Exactly. You buy a really nice 4K or 8K Ultra HD TV and you plug your aerial into it Mm -hmm. and you wonder why it is that it doesn't look very good. Well, you have to make sure that your network is aligned with the hardware you're running it on. That's Mm -hmm. just how it is. So in terms of a home internet connection and these days you know home working and home internet and all the rest of it are now they're in one big melting pot so my first question would be so how important is your is the internet to you if the answer is well actually i run my business on it i run my life on it actually i want this to be as near as is reasonably possible a hundred percent up then i would say you've got to be really looking at two connections like you have ideally from two different providers because that covers off what happens if their network goes bad? Mm. What happens if something bad happens? And and actually, we've covered you off. So not only are you with Vodafone and Trunk Networks, but actually Vodafone's with City Fibre. So that is different physical cable in the streets. That's to a different physical aggregation point. That's plugged into a different physical bit of network in Vodafone's. And then we've, we've given you an open roof circuit, which is why it's asymmetric, not symmetrical like City Fibre mm. would be. But that's then on a separate piece of fibre, taking a separate route in separate ducts, different bits of road. That will go back to the the, the BT exchange and it's then over a different backhaul onto Mm. us as a different network. So if any one of us and if any one of those components goes bad on you, give or take 30 seconds, you'll fail over. Your your life will continue. And depending on what you're doing, you may not even notice. That's kind of where I believe people should be mm. we can fail over transit providers we could have a, a major bng failure he says touching wood hoping that doesn't happen but 
we can suffer those things. We've got more than one of them. Customers simply end up disconnecting and reconnecting somewhere else. Mm. And although that may not be completely seamless, hopefully within 30 seconds to a minute, your router's done its thing, our network's done its thing, you're back connected, we're all online, everybody's happy again. That's how we design our network. That's how Vodafone designs its network. And actually, if your home network is that important to you, it's kind of how you should be thinking about your home network as well. It's worth spending a few pounds on it. You have to take a view. You know, if you replace your PC every, what, three to five years, probably, Mm -hmm. probably closer to three if you use it extensively, your network kit probably lasts you five to ten years. So actually, it's got over double the life cycle of your PC. And if you're happy spending... £1,500 on a new PC every three years, Hmm. then spending £500 on a router that outlasts your PC by twice its life actually isn't a bad investment. And then, yeah, putting the right right connections on the end of it to give you as much resilience as you can makes sense. You know, if it's not that important, well, you know, maybe, or you haven't, you know, you're in a lucky position that you have got open route and city fibre in your street. But, you know, we can still look at, for example, uh, 4G failover. Mm-hmm. Plug a SIM card or a, a dongle into your router, buy one that has that functionality, and then you can have four, four or 5G as a failover option. It's just about, you know, how important is that to you? Yeah. And these days, I would argue for home working, very. Absolutely. Yeah, like two of each, except your wife. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Two routers, get two routers. It's okay. And by the way, they shouldn't maybe be from the same provider. No. And they they will be different age. And it's okay, right? Like when you get the new one, you don't have to wait 10 years. In five years, you get like another one. You refresh the oldest one, and then you have one older, one newer. So yeah, I mean, the same thing for like phones or even like laptops or workstations, whatever you have. So when I recycle, I like like I keep the old one around just in case I need it, you know? Yep. And then you can gift it to someone or whatever the case may be, reuse. That is a big deal. Okay. And actually that reuse thing is a really interesting point. One of the things that, that we recognized and we we, we supply what I would, would deem to be decent routers for our broadband connections. We don't lock them down to us. Yes, yes, they are set with our ACS details, so they auto-provision themselves. But you can create a new profile and, and you know set your own username and password up and all the rest of it and have to talk to our ACS. But most importantly, because we've supplied decent routers, we want them to last five years. What we don't want to be doing is filling some smoky landfill site in China with yet another bit of hardware because you've changed ISP. I will actually encourage you, you know, if you go buy your own router, we'll give you a credit. Mm. We'll, we'll actually give you a router credit for using your, your own connection as if we bought you a router but that's one less bit of plastic in some landfill site. Yeah. So we want people to have more than one router. We want people to recycle their, you know, or reuse their router wherever we can. But you know, you talk about the your five year, five year and ten year. That's mm-hmm. great. We want to encourage that because actually that's the right thing to do for the planet. It's the right thing to do for for you as well. It fits always round, and it just makes some sense, really. Everyone wins. I love those scenarios where where everyone wins. Absolutely. Just keep looking for those and keep doing that. So who is Trunk Networks to me? Well, Trunk Networks to me is a UK ISP, a small one that has an amazing team. Everyone that I interacted with via support tickets like you, Drew, I mean, uh, you just give so much, right? I, I can feel the passion. I can, I can feel the commitment and I feel in safe hands. 
Who is Trunk Networks to you? Well, Trunk Networks to me, I'm, I really hope is what you've experienced. You know, we, we have got some fabulous members of staff who are very passionate, who do work hard to offer the best service that we can for our customers. We're a business that's not frightened of saying, we don't know, but we'll go away and we'll, we'll damn well find out for you. Hmm. We're passionate about delivering what we, we're selling to you. Hmm. As I mentioned previously, you know, we want to make a profit. Because actually, that's what makes the world go round. That's what keeps you in business. You won't be around if you don't make a profit. So it's in my interest for you to make a profit so that you're around. Yeah. And every morning I wake up and I think, do you know, every one of our members of staff, the work that I put in helps to pay their mortgage. Mm -hmm. And that drives me to to continue to push forward with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And and I know that that Darren, my business partner, is absolutely no different. He's every, every bit as focused on delivering a great product with for happy customers for people who want to actually turn around at, at the end of the day and go, do you know, that was that was great, you know. Uh, hmm. Yes, I had a problem, but these guys, they worked as hard as they could to fix it. There's not a lot I can do to stop it. We'll figure it out. It's okay, you know. You know, we'll work damn hard to fix it for you. And we'll do that as quickly as we can based on the fact that typically the stuff that breaks is outside of our control. If the fibre to your house breaks, it's not one of our engineers that will come and fix it, unfortunately. Hmm. But we'll get on the case with, with our third-party provider and shout at them until you are fixed. And okay. that's, that's what we do. So as we prepare to wrap up, what would you say is the most important takeaway for our listeners from our conversation? I think the most important thing that I really would like to hammer home is that if the internet is important to you, the cheapest isn't necessarily going to be the best option. It's an option. Of course it is. There are large ISPs that make a, a, a very decent turn on, on selling pilot high, sell it cheap connections. But with that comes the potential for things to go wrong. If you want you know, people who care, people who can work with you to fix your problem, we want to be part of a solution we don't want to be part of the problem mm. and we want to make sure we're part of your team. We're on team customer, believe it or mm. not. That's kind of our, our mantra and our, our thought process. And if off the back of our conversation today, one person turns around and says, Do you know, actually, I kind of see where they're coming from, mm. then it's been a success. Well, that's exactly what it has been for me. You know, it started as a conversation, like random question, hey, can you help? Yes, you could. Like, you know. This is what we can do. This is what we offer. This is how we operate. We went like through that process together and I never felt like you were selling me anything. And I love that, you know, like I was the one wanting to buy it because I realized how amazing it was and how rare that was. And no sponsorship, nothing like that, because why? I mean, it doesn't work like that. You know, you have to basically put your money where your mouth is or where your mind is. I certainly did that and it was great. And I wanted to share this story with all the details, with how basically I went through this process and why what I end up with, which by the way, I'm really happy about. We can still improve it and I know that we will improve it. And my interest is in, sharing, is in sharing this with you all that are listening to this and see if it works for you. I mean, I don't know what your ISP choice is or where you are in the world, but this is how I solved my problem and hopefully it will inspire you to solve yours. Thank you, Drew. This has been amazing. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And um, I'm looking forward to what we do next year. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much for your time and well, and your custom, of course. But uh, it has been a, an absolute pleasure. And um, it was really great to be able to fix your problem. And most importantly of all, you wearing that nice big smile, which for me says that you know, we got it right. So thank you. Thank you, Drew. 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Ship It. This is just one of our podcasts for developers. Go to changelog.com forward slash master for the rest. You can join us via changelog.com forward slash community for free. The only cost is happiness credits if you choose to not interact with us. There are no imposters in our Slack. Everyone is welcome. Huge thanks to our partners Fastly, LaunchDarkly and Linode. Thank you, Breakmaster Cylinder, for all our awesome beats. That's it for this week. See you next week. There's one more thing. If you want me to help you ship your code into production, find me at dagger.io. I have two slots left this month. Mention ship it episode 35 when you request access, and I'll pair up with you on what you need to ship into production. First come, first serve basis. And remember, always be shipping. Thank you.